I think it is awesome when um, local schools ask to be in partner with a church. Uh, it uh, doesn't happen all that often these days, does it? And we, uh, as Brian shared, we want to we wanna show Crestmont and Ike and Oakmont and Sargent and all the other schools around here, we want to show them our best. We want to come alongside and truly be partners with them and their students. A great opportunity and uh, thrilled that uh, we're being invited to do that. Before we look to God's word, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for all that is happening in and through Center Point. Thank you for the camps. Thank you for the house build. Thank you for the missions that are up and coming, for the food baskets, the support groups, for all the things that we are involved in. Lord, we want to be your presence in lives. We want to show them Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to do that in more and deeper ways. And then, Lord, show us your word. It's incredible. It's phenomenal. Show us you in your word. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. I would imagine um, that most of us here, if not all of us, could recite John 3.16. And I would guess that while most Americans couldn't recite the verse, they're at least familiar with the citation. If you uh, look at sporting events, somewhere in the crowds, you're going to see someone holding up a John 3.16 placard. You can see it in advertisements, even in um, some of the um, products or the bags, the cups of, of some businesses, you'll even find it printed there. John 3.16 is practically everywhere. In fact, I just found out recently, did you know that John 3.16 made it to the Apollo spacecraft suits? Did you know that? I just found this out this week. It turns out that one of the engineers that worked on the umbilical connection, Frank Denton, a NASA engineer, named one of the connections J3.16, and the other connection he called J317. Someone asked him, why did you do that? You, that wasn't intentional, John 316, John 317 was. And he said, oh, absolutely. And his answer was this. Frank Denton said this. Just as the spacesuit umbilical is the lifeline for the astronauts, even so the Lord Jesus Christ is our eternal lifeline. Isn't that amazing? John 316 made it into the Apollo spacesuits. Pretty cool. John 316. While we might be able to recite it, we might also be surprised that it's part of the Trinitarian creed and formula that we affirm. Uh, We're now in the third of our four-week series on the Trinity, looking at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And last week, we asked the question of all the ways that God could reveal himself. Why did he reveal himself as God the Father? We are asking pretty much the same question this morning of all the ways that God could reveal himself in the Trinity. Why reveal himself as God the Son? And to answer that question, we're going to look at John 3.16. You might think, that's kind of a strange verse to go to for the Trinity. But you'll see in a moment why we're looking at John 3.16. You know, rather than just have me read it, would you read it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But have eternal life. So where's the trinity in this? Well, it's found in these two words. Begotten Son. Begotten Son. In fact, that's the word used in two of the main Trinitarian creeds of the church. And, and if I could just kind of make a, a side note here, um, for those of you that don't like history, just bear with me. I want to do a little bit of history here and talk about the councils, creeds, and confessions of the church. When Christianity began to expand and grow, and as it reached more and more people, the church found that the purity of the teachings of Jesus was sometimes changed. That, that there arose teachers um, who weren't orthodox. They, they taught false things. They sort of made up things. And so to, to combat this, as well as to come up with what is an agreed-upon theology, the church at times would call councils, basically meetings of the leaders of the church. And the very first council came together in Jerusalem in around 50 AD. It's from Acts chapter 15. It's the first council. The question they were dealing with is, what does a non-Jew, a Gentile, have to do to become a Christian. Uh, many in the church felt that they should become Jews first, then become Christians. Many others in the church said, no, that's not at all what Jesus had in mind. They need to just simply be Christians. And so that was debated and argued, and from that came a decision. Now, throughout the next eight centuries of the church, there would be these councils being called together regarding theological questions and debates. What often would come out of a council is called a creed. Uh, it's the Latin word means believe. Believe. And the creeds were statements of belief. Um, they would debate a particular topic, and then they would say, here is what we believe about this matter. Same thing happened in Acts chapter 15. They said, this is what we believe. This is what we want sent to the church that is the truth. One of the earliest creeds is the Apostles' Creed. Through very numerous councils, creeds would be developed, basically statements of what we believe. However, creeds weren't very detailed, and so the church began to develop what are called confessions. Confessions are different from creeds in that it details what it is we believe. So a creed is a simple statement of belief, but a confession is a deeper detail of what it is we believe. Does that make sense? Okay, so when we talk about the creeds, we're talking about theological statements of the church, and there are two key Trinitarian creeds of the church. One is called the Nicene Creed, and in it, it says this, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, and it goes on to describe the Father. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. Now, the second Trinitarian creed is called the Athanasian Creed, and it says the same thing in regards to begotten. The Son was neither made nor created, 
He was begotten from the Father alone. Now, we may look at this and think, boy, you guys are kind of nitpicking here, right? Begotten, made, what, what does all that mean? What, what's, what's the significance of that word begotten? Uh, first of all, it's how we uh, know Jesus. John discloses who Jesus is with the words, the only begotten Son of God. Why begotten? What's the difference? Begotten means that it's of the same thing. Right? Um, a human being begets a... Okay, this is really biology one. Right? A human being begets a... All right, if you don't know what begets is, talk to your parents. All right? A dog begets a... Very good. You got it going here, right? A goat begets a... Can a human being beget a goat? No, no, not at all. Can a human being create something that's not the same as themselves? Yes, they can. You can create things, right? I can create a, a, a something in clay. I can create something in wood, metal, whatever. I can create something, but it's not me. It's not something I beget because it's not of me. And the word beget means of the same, of the same. And so when John describes the second member of the Trinity, when the creeds describe Jesus very clearly and very specifically, he is not created, he's not made, he is begotten. It means that he is of the same. It's a, it's a way of saying Jesus is God. He's of the same stuff of the Father. We believe in one God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? What is it that the Son has that the Father has? It's God. It is being God. Jesus Christ is God. Now, there are a number of passages that affirm that. Uh, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word... Very good. And the Word was God. Jesus says... I and the Father are one. John 14, 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Paul says in Colossians 2, 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. There's a dozen other passages, more than that even, that very clearly affirm Jesus Christ is God. And through the Gospels, Jesus very clearly states the same. I and the Father are one. Now, when we talk about the Trinity, one of the things that we've said of it is that it is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma, to use um, Churchill's words. It is um, one of the most difficult theological uh, topics, issues that we have. But that is not true of Jesus as God. The scriptures are crystal clear. There's absolutely no doubt about the fact that Jesus claimed to be God and that Jesus is God. And it's with a sense of frustration that C.S. Lewis wrote these words about that. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Well, that's one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, 
or else he would be the devil of hell. Uh, You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool and you can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about us being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. C.S. Lewis is frustrated with people who say, well, I believe Jesus was a great moral teacher, or Jesus was just a religious leader. His frustration with that, and ours as well, should be that's not even an option. That's not on the table. The only two things that are on the table is if you believe in Jesus as who he is, Lord God in the flesh, or you believe him as this crazy madman. Because no sane human being would make the claims Jesus made. And as erroneous as that is, it is just as erroneous to say, well, then Jesus became God. Jesus became God. How many of you have had a a Jehovah Witness come to your door? Okay, many, many, many of us have, right? Many of us have Jehovah Witness come to our door. Did you know that Jehovah Witnesses don't believe in the Trinity? They don't believe in the Trinity. When they start talking about God, they're talking about God, but not about Jesus, not about the Holy Spirit. And when you ask them about Jesus, they will tell you that Jesus became God. And if you ask them to show you that in the Bible, they'll open up their Bible. Okay, so if you open up a Bible to John 1.1, just as we read earlier, right? And this is as close to the Greek as you can get without um, speaking Greek. (laughs) In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is clearly, in the Greek, said exactly that way. But in a Jehovah Witness Bible, they've changed it to read this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's not how the Greek reads. They changed the Bible to fit their theological perspective. It is just as erroneous to say of Jesus that he is a good moral teacher or a religious leader, is equally as erroneous to say that Jesus Christ became God. What is very clear is that Jesus is God who became a man, not a man who became God. In fact, when you talk to Jehovah Witness, bring out John 1.1, and say to them, look, if Jesus was a man who became God, that means you're polytheistic. And the next thing you know is you're going to have the bishop of the Jehovah Witnesses talking to you or something. I don't know, but call me. We'll deal with it. All right? All right. Jesus is God who became man. He's not a man who became God. Okay, so that, that deals with begotten, of the same essence, of the same stuff. Jesus is God. We get why that's important to the Trinity, but why son? Why not just simply Jesus is begotten of the Father? Why son? And here's the personal part, and literally, it's personal. Why son? Because it has to do with us. 
Why did Jesus reveal himself as God's son? Because it had to do with us. When humankind sinned, they created a breach, a break, so immense that it reached eternity. There was no way to bridge that breach. There was no way for us to sort of undo what was done. The law was given to us to draw us closer to God, and we could not keep the law. Whatever we tried to do to become one with God, whatever atonement we made at one is what atonement means. Whatever we tried to be closer to God, we failed. The sacrifices that were to um, be for our sins weren't covered enough. Now, it would have been at this point that God could have just simply walked away. Could just simply have said, you guys blew it. He could have just said, you know what, I'm going to leave you to your own self-destruction. Can you imagine what our world would be like has God not bound evil? That, that evil can go so, only so far in our world. You know that? Because God has bound it. He has put limits on it. He allows, because of human freedom, for us to dwell within these boundaries and for evil to run in these boundaries, but he has created boundaries that it cannot go beyond. Otherwise, we would truly self-destruct as a world. Every time I, I start hearing the news and reading the news, I think, oh my gosh, our world is so broken. We are so broken. It would have been very easy for God just simply to walk away. When I was um, doing my doctoral studies at Fuller, one of the professors um, arranged for us to have a tour of JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory there in Pasadena, uh, to talk about uh, faith and work. How do, we, how do we bring faith and work together? And, and in particular, this question was dealing with science and faith. And um, it was just during the time that the Hubble uh, telescope, they finally figured out why it was broken. Remember all that? Years and years of having that thing float around and do nothing. So the Hubble was just starting to work. They were working on a rover program from Mars. They were looking for life in the universe. And, and I remember one of the students in the class said, so what if they find it? What would be your answer to that uh, as both science, a man of science and a man of faith? Uh, and I love the answer that was given. The answer was, well, first of all, I hope they do. I hope it's there. I hope God didn't just create us. I hope that God created others as well. And he said, even more so, I hope they haven't sinned. But if they have, we have an answer for that. That's a great answer. I hope there's life out there. But more so, I hope it hasn't sinned. But if it has sinned, well, we have an answer. God loved the world and refused to give up on it. Loved the world. And so the only way that this atonement to be at one with God would work was if a perfect human being lived out the law to every degree and then could 
be sacrificed, that we would then take what he's done. Of course, no human being could do that. Only God could do that. And for God to do that, he must become flesh. He must become a man. He has to be born. Begotten son. Not created, not made. In order to be human, you have to be born. Why son? Because God so loved the world, he refused to give up on it. And I don't know why, I don't know if, if God just was just wanted to spoil the secret or give hope. Um, you know, some of us have trouble keeping secrets. Do you have anyone in your family like that? You know, the, the fam, I, we learned early on, never tell certain people in our family, in my, especially in my wife's family, anything that you don't want spread out there, right? So uh, we received an email from him a little while ago that said, this is really, really confidential. Don't share it with anyone. And, and I wrote back to him and said, then why are you sending it an email? Do you realize that email can go anywhere and anyone can take it? I mean, we just learned early on, don't tell him a secret if you don't want it to get out. It, it, it's just some people, you know, they, you know, oh, I can't wait, to, I can't wait till I, I, you see what I bought you for your birthday. Okay, I'll tell you. Well, wait. <laughs> you know? yeah, we all know people like that, right? I don't know if God had sort of that feeling. When he was dealing with Israel, and Israel was, was in the midst of woes and difficulties and, and problems, or Isaiah was saying, Lord, I see no hope for your people. I don't know if God said, okay, I'll tell you a secret. This is what I got for you. I don't know what it is, but we all know Isaiah 9, 6, and that incredibly beautiful statement that he makes. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Why God, the begotten son, because in order to do this, it would require God to be born. Unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I shared with you before that the Greek word dwelling literally means the word became flesh and he pitched his tent among us. I love that. That means I'm not just visiting. I'm camping out with you guys. I'm staying in your world. Our world, our brokenness, the mess of humanity. He's not just a tourist making his way through the world. He stepped into our mess. He stepped into our darkness. He stepped right into the midst of our brokenness. Past couple of months, both my kids have uh, been house hunting. And there's all these new apps you can use. And one of the new apps you can use is to tell you where crime is in a particular area. So I, I thought to myself, well, what's Roseville like? And so I went to this, uh, uh, this uh, app called Crime Mapping. I put in Roseville. And then the last week, in this past week, what, what crimes have come up in Roseville? Just in a relatively little short area here, uh, there was, what does it say at the top of that? 20 what? All right, 21 incidents in the last seven days, all right? And they deal with all kinds of things. Whatever was reported to the police is on this map. I thought, well, that's not very much, is it? And I thought, well, what about somewhere else, like San Francisco? 
in the same period in San Francisco. And what they do is they don't show you the individual ones because there's too many. There's, what, 700 of these? If you go out just a little bit more, um, uh, just a hair more, it's well over 1,000 incidents. So those little red numbers that say two, three, five, seven, it's the number of incidences that happened at that spot. So there are over 700 police reports in the same period of time that Roseville had 20. Now I thought to myself, where do I want to live? Where do I want my kids to live? But the real question is, where would Jesus live? Right? Out on the streets. Right next to the drug abuser. Right next to the darkness and the brokenness of humanity. That's where he'd go. He pitched his tent right next to us. Unbelievable. Why, son? Because it was the only way for us. The only way for us. Paul says it this way. It's, this is a magnificent statement of Jesus. He said, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was so pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And he ends it all by saying, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And what's that next part? That whoever believes in him will not perish but have life eternal. In fact, that statement of faith, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, is Trinitarian. You are my Lord, begotten of the Father, same, my Savior. You're the Son born for me. That is Jesus, and this is the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for giving us Jesus. And Lord, I pray that every time we hear the word son in reference to Jesus, we'll remember that it was for us he was born, not for the Father, but for us. All he did was for us. May it be said then of us, 
all we do is for Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.